They've got a brand new stadium, a big one, and they're going to put a big flag up there in a moment because the eagle has landed for the premiers. There's a new dynasty in the NBA. The Golden State Warriors champions once again. Hello everyone and welcome to the Sports Desk on your Wednesday morning. I am Kendra and I am joined with Tom and April. How are you going today, guys? Pretty good today. Um, very, very sad that Carlton's final chances are finally out of the running. Um, April, how are you feeling? I'm, I'm doing well. Not paying any attention to the footy anymore now that Essendon is long gone. Um, I've, I've just moved on completely. I'm, I'm ready for next year. Well, I'm definitely paying attention to the footy because well we'll get to it later on but my team Richmond did well so I'm very excited but coming up we'll be talking about everything AFL plus we're going to be talking about the US Open Tour de France and the Grand Prix. Yeah it's a packed show coming up but as usual we'll kick off with the AFL to start. Um, We have just had week 17 we are getting very very close to finals Um, And so we'll run through the results from the past week. We had West Coast get up over St Kilda, 65 to 50. Richmond beat Geelong, 57 to 31. Kendra, we'll come back to this at the end so you can gloat about how good Richmond is. Um, On Saturday, we had Fremantle beat North Melbourne, 99 to 35. Port Adelaide beat Essendon, 79 to 29. Uh, Melbourne got up over GWS 79 to 74 and close one there. Adelaide beat Carlton 72 to 56. Um, another one we'll come back to with Adelaide storming home at the end of the season. Uh, the Bulldogs beat Hawthorne 76 to 40. Brisbane beat Sydney 73 to 41. And Collingwood got up over Gold Coast 68 to 46 to secure their spot in the finals. Um, But Kendra, let's go to the Geelong-Richmond game. What did you think of the match? I thought it was a a great match. Um, It wasn't expected that they would win, but when they started in the first quarter, I think it was, they were like 17 to 3. So I thought, yes, they've got a very good chance at winning this game here. But then Geelong, which they have been known for especially this year, started to come back a little bit in the last quarter even, but Richmond managed to steady it out and keep them. And it was a great game. I was very happy because I think this means that Richmond have a very good chance at the three-peat this year, getting the title, especially because Geelong beat Port Adelaide not very long ago. So yeah, it's looking very hopeful. Yeah, I guess um, Geelong were probably the team to to beat prior to this week. I guess they were they were in red hot form, probably one of the only real premiership favourites. And then Richmond have come out and just you know just smashed them and dominated them throughout the whole game. So you got to be very confident there, Kendra. Oh, extremely confident now. I think they're going all the way. Um, and April Essendon, what happened there? You, you sort of you may have had a chance at finals. You needed to beat Port, but. Very unlikely, and it was a pretty disappointing performance from them. I don't really want to talk about it, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, yeah, this was a, a very disappointing result. I didn't actually watch this game. I sort of um, checked the score early on and saw we were already already down by a lot and was like, okay, we might give this one a miss. Um, things are just sort of tailing off at the end of the season. And I mean, now we're at the point and over the last few weeks too, where we've had losses, where you just realise that um, we weren't going to make finals. And so, um, like I said at the start, like I, I really am looking ahead to next year now and, and hopefully because across the season, there have been a lot of positives for Essendon. Um, so I hope that we can sort of build on them into next year, even though these losses um, going into it aren't the best. We've got our match against Melbourne next week, which is the, um, the makeup match from earlier in the season. Um, unfortunately, Melbourne are doing a lot better than they were at that point of the year. But um, it'd be nice to finish off the season with a win. What are your thoughts on Ben Rutten taking over next year now? I know, you know, it would have been really good for you to, for you to get a couple more wins and maybe make finals and then Ben, Rut ben Rutten taking over a better side. But, it, you know, it doesn't look like it's the best in SNN at the moment and you're not looking like the best side you've been for a while um and what are your thoughts on having Ben Rutten now take over this side going into next year I think one of the key issues as well though has been we have had quite a lot of injuries and just you know our good players have been missing matches and we've very rarely had our our number one team playing all together so I think um, you have to keep that in mind with how the season's gone and hopefully over the off-season and the pre-season, Rutten can get them all together. Um, perhaps they struggled this year having Worsfold and Rutten coaching together. Maybe it will be a bit better next year having just one clear head coach um, and working working like that. So I'm optimistic for how it will go. Um and yeah, hopefully we see them going back to how they were playing earlier this season. Yeah. And then I know moving on to Carlton, just very, very disappointing. Adelaide haven't won a, you know, a game all year and they've come out and won three on the trot. And then the third one against Carlton, it's just, uh, it just sucks. And it's just ruined our finals hopes now. And just a really poor performance. That's, that's you know, another game this year, we've given up a five goal lead, um, you know, five goals in a row. It's just, it's really pathetic from Carlton and, you know, we may have turned around, turned it around a little bit in the second, in the second half of the game, but you know, it wasn't enough. We were still too far down and just really disappointing. And there's a lot to be worked on in the off season. So I don't know how I feel about the net, net, next season now, because this was a game we should have won. And I was really looking forward to the off season and going into next year, but a loss to Adelaide like that is really disappointing and really disheartening. Carlton's also got Brisbane coming up next week. So that's probably going to be another tough match to round out the year. Yes. And then speaking of next week as well, we do have a fair few retirements at the end of this year. Um, just on the Carlton-Brisbane game, uh, Cade Simpson has just announced he, he will be playing his last ever match next week against Brisbane after playing, I believe, 344-odd games of AFL for Carlton. So it's sad to see him go, but you know, he is getting on the back end of 30 and, you know, he's just been an incredible battler for Carlton. It's sad to see him go, but it's probably the right timing for him. Yeah. There's also retirement news out of Essendon. Tom Bell Chambers has announced he will be retiring. He is 31 years old, uh, has played 136 games and um, has been Essendon's number one Ruckman um, for 
many years. Um, it's a bit of a surprise to see him go, I would say, but we are lucky that we've got Sam Draper, who's been um, coming up and playing really well this year. So I think our ruck is in safe hands with him, um, but it will be sad to see Bell Chambers go because he has been a really great player for Essendon. He just said physically his body is telling him his time is up um, and he has had some knee issues and various things. So I guess he just sees it as time to go. Yep, and then a bit of shock news out of Hawthorne as well. Um, for one player, but not for the other. But yeah, there are two retirements. Uh, two premiership players in Stratton and Puopolo are retiring from Hawthorne next week as well. Puopolo's getting on the back end of his career, so that's understandable. But Ben Stratton, I don't know. I'm really surprised that he's calling it quits on his his career. You know, he's been you know incredible for the Hawks, uh, former captain. I'm just really surprised that he's decided to hang up his boots. I don't know. I don't know what your thoughts are, but I'm just really surprised that he's announced it. I think over the next few years, we're probably going to see a lot of retirements from Hawthorne because they have been really successful for a pretty long time now and sort of really had that core group of, I guess, champion players or um, definitely just star players for the team. And I think they're all starting to get to the back end of their career now. So I think we're going to be seeing a lot of those names that we know as stars of the game starting to hang up the boots over the next few years. And it's interesting with Hawthorne as well, whether it was their decision to retire or Hawthorne were like, we'll give you the option to retire or we'll delist you instead. So I feel like that might've been a Clarko decision there that they, they might be going into the younger players and trying to move forward into the future. And it, it just doesn't seem like a very Stratton thing to do. I reckon he would have stayed if they would have allowed him, but that might come out later. I might be very wrong, but I don't know. My take is that it's probably a Clarko decision that um, these players, especially Stratton, are retiring. Now, I just want to ask, not to try and rub salt into the wound, Tom, but how do you feel about Collingwood booking a place in the final? Oh, it's not nice. I don't like it. <laughs> it really sucks. Uh, just annoying. Because, uh, I mean, it, I think they were always going to make finals this year. There was a slim hope they weren't going to make it. Um, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just wait, I'm waiting for the day they miss out on finals and fire Buckley. I, I'm going to live for that day. So, <laughs> and Carlton makes it. exactly. Carlton can smash from first week finals next year. How about that? All right. This week's ladder for the AFL. We have Port Adelaide still on top with 52 points, followed by Brisbane, who are, also have 52 points. Then Richmond, who are on 46 points. Geelong on. 44 points, West Coast on 44 points and Collingwood on 38 points. Then followed by St Kilda on 36 points and the Bulldogs on 36 points as well. Yeah, very interesting top eight there. There's a lot of movement that can go around. I know Port and Brisbane have secured their places in the top two. Um, Richmond and Geelong can still fall out of the top four, but it's it might be unlikely considering the last um, last round that we have. And interestingly enough, St Kilda, for the Ripper start they had to the year, they're sitting on 36 points with the Bulldogs. So they're at risk of missing out on finals this week if they have a pretty hefty loss to the Giants and someone like Melbourne have a pretty hefty win. So it'd be interesting to see for the last round. And, you know, you still have Melbourne and the Giants that still can make finals, given they do have some pretty poor percentage compared to someone like St Kilda. Um, if the Doggies lose, then Melbourne and the Giants are in the prime seat to take that last final spot, which is very interesting. 
The one other part of the ladder I find interesting is whether Adelaide is actually going to finish on the bottom or if they're going to get up above North Melbourne. They're both equal on 12 points now on the bottom of the ladder. Um, North are playing West Coast and Adelaide are playing Richmond. So I'm going to be watching those two matches to see the, the battle for the wooden spoon. It actually might come down to who um, loses by the least amount of points in the end because they're two pretty big sides that are looking to cement their spot in the top four and try for that top four spot, four spot and get that percentage boost to help them secure it. So it could be very interesting for both these bottom teams. And I know if you're an Adelaide supporter, you've been bottom the whole year. You haven't won a game. You've been abysmal. You finally win a couple of games and you don't finish bottom of the ladder. Is that disappointing for you? I feel like that'd be really disappointing. You've been the worst team all year. You're tanking for the bottom spot. And then all of a sudden you give it up to North Melbourne. I, I, I just, I think Adelaide, surely your supporters would be very disappointed with losing that bottom spot in the end after the year they've had. Wouldn't North Melbourne be more disappointed at the fact that Port Adelaide have been playing so badly and then they just pip them at the line at the end of it all? <sighs> like, what would you rather be, a North Melbourne at the bottom or an Adelaide at the I bottom? Both, I think fans. both teams are very disappointed with their year. North North fans, I feel like you'd be more disappointed with, fin- with finishing last because you have had, you know, a better year compared to Adelaide. Adelaide supporters have probably, after halfway through the year, not winning a game, they've probably accepted the fact that they're going to finish last. They're playing all the young players. They've written off this year. That's fine. They just want to see the young players play well, be competitive, and still get that number one pick. For North Melbourne, you know, they've been playing okay. They had, you know, they've only had three wins, but they had them sort of spread out earlier in the year, and they were looking like they were okay, but not the worst. I feel like they'd be very disappointed with finishing last. But also, if you think about it, they might be happy with that number one pick as well. But uh, I guess we'll have to wait and see after this last round. Turn up your radio. This is Sin. Now, moving on, uh, this is the moment we've all been waiting for throughout the whole season. We've been talking about whether this event was going to happen or not, whether they were going to make it to the finals. The US Open has finally concluded with all of their matches, the men's, the women's, the doubles, even the wheelchairs have finished. All the finals have been played. It was an incredible couple of finals as well, you know, with the men's and the women's, an incredible journey to get there. April, how did the finals end up? Yeah, so we had the finals over Sunday and Monday. And, well, the first thing that happened since our, our show last week was that Serena Williams did lose to Victoria Azarenka, so she didn't make the final. Um, so the fi- women's final was between Osaka and Azarenka and Naomi Osaka, the fourth seed for the tournament, got up 1-6, 6-3, 6-3. So a very poor first set from her. Um, But then she picked it up to get the win, which is her second US Open title. And um, I think a much happier win than her win last year um, against Serena when she was booed after taking out the title um, over some controversy around umpiring decisions and such. Um, and then to move over to the men's, we had the final was between Zverev and Team, and it was a close five setter. Um, team ended up getting up after losing the first two sets, two six four six, and ended up winning six four six three, and then eight six in the final set tiebreaker. Tom, you watched the men's final. Um, do you want to tell us a bit more about how it all played out? Yes, uh, so it's the first time, I think, in 75 years. It's been a long time 
that a singles tennis player has been two sets down in the final and come back and won. So an incredible effort there from team. He has probably been one of the most dominant players throughout the whole tournament. He's he's had an incredible year after losing to the um to Djokovic in the in the Oz Open final in January. Um, you know, taking that to a five set match as well. So he's been unlucky this year a little bit. And you know, after a poor start, just an incredible job to fight back and. You know, it, to take it to a fifth set tiebreak as well, that's just so, you know, incredible that it's gone to that in the end. And to, to come out in, with the win, especially after having a bit of a knee niggle, hamstring niggle, he was limping around halfway through that last set there. So everyone was thinking maybe Zverev has got him here, move him around. But team just dug deep and just got the win in the end. And it was just an incredible battle between both of these tennis players. And, you know, you got to think when these you know the big three end up do retiring these players are going to be the next big things because they're just incredible they're still relatively young in the tennis game as well and it's just awesome to see someone new take out their first ever grand slam so that's awesome to see and then moving on to the women's as well asaka another incredible victory for her that's her third grand slam title now two u.s opens and one oz open there Um, victoria azarenka had an incredible comeback tournament too no one thought that she'd be in this position this year after, you know, many years out of the game. You know, she had her period maybe, I want to say five, 10 years ago in that bracket there. When I was a ball kid, she was one of the best tennis players going around, which is saying saying a fair bit. So, you know, after having having her um, her daughter, she's been having some time off and it's just incredible to see her come back and um, have this success, you know, potential success. And she, you know, she's in line to potentially have a really good year um, just on Azarenka as well. I know she's one of the um, more screamy tennis players out there. It's just, I don't know if you guys watch any of her matches, but it just intensifies her scream when there's no crowd. It just echoes out of the stadium and it's just incredible. Like it's really loud when you see it in person and watching it on like over, over the TV with the crowd. But when she serves and it's a fault, the, the, the screen just echoes for another like five, 10 seconds. It's incredible. I can't, I can't get over it. If anyone like wants to look it up on YouTube, please do, because it's, it's something to see because you, don't, you, know, you would normally never see it in a normal tennis match with the crowd. And moving on to the wheelchair tournament and star Australian wheelchair tennis player Dylan Alcott has unfortunately lost the US Open singles. Um, he went down 7-6, 7-5 in the first set. And then love six, six, four. So um, managed to take it out to three sets, but still lost and wasn't able to take uh, what would have been his third US Open singles crown. But in good news, he did manage to take out the doubles competition with his partner, Andy Lapthorne, um, which is his seventh major doubles title. So all in all, um, an all right performance. He'll be disappointed about the singles, but good to get the doubles win. All right, now to some cricket news. Tom's going to take us through the T20 and the one day international. Yes, so the T20 performance from the Aussies was very disappointing in our tour of England, uh, losing the series 2 1. Um, pretty poor performances in the two and the first two um, matches there. So we lost it pretty early. A bit of a fight back win there in the last match to. Um, only lose it 2-1, but still really disappointing. On the other hand, the one-day series has kicked off and we are currently at one all with the last match set to play on the 16th of September. So pretty impressive performance from the Aussies in both those matches, actually. We are pretty dominant in the first test. 
Um, unfortunately, in the second one, we had a really, really poor batting collapse. You know, we bowled out England for 231 runs, which is really impressive from our bowlers. Um, but, you know, super, super disappointing. David Warner out for six runs. Um, we sort of, sort of still stabilised there when you had Finch and Labuschagne. Finch making 73 and Labuschagne making 48. But with a batting collapse after that, with the next highest score being 36, everyone else making, you know, 1, 1, 11, 2, 7, and a duck from Mitchell Stark. So really disappointing in that second ODI match there. But there's still one more match to go on the 16th for the Aussies to take out the ODI series, hopefully. So everyone uh, looking forward to that. You know, given that we did sort of have a bit of a batting collapse um, to only end up losing by 24 runs is a good sign that if they can pull it together and everybody pull their weight a bit more, we can take out this third match. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it's just shown from the first match, we were really solid the whole day, you know, very solid batting and really strong bowling. And we saw that again in the second match. It was really strong bowling again that's just carrying us over the line. And we just got to get a couple more players with more consistent running. You know, you have players like Stoinis and Maxwell who were such big hitters and X-factors, but they're not as consistent as someone like Finchie, I guess. Or, you know, having Steve Smith in the side who's just super consistent most of the time. So we're sort of missing the consistency there. On our day, we're, you know, arguably better than anyone else on the planet, but we have to be on our day and it's, rare these days that we've been on our day so hopefully in this third match all our batters come out and, and, and produce and you know the bowling will be consistent and we'll you know hopefully bowl the uh, the Englishman out for uh, a measly 200 and something runs which would be nice on fm on dab plus and streaming online at sin.org.au this is sin where young people run the show on to the Tour de France now. We did have a rest day on Monday, so no update at the moment for that. Uh, Kendra, what are the standings at the moment currently? Yes, so for the general general classification, we have in yellow jersey still, we have Primoz Roglic, and then second, we have Tajar Pogacar, and in third, we have Rigoberto Uran in third, and in fourth, we have Michael Lopez, in fifth, British Adam Yates. And in sixth, we have very own Australian Richie Port. In seventh, we have Michael Lander. Eight, we have Enrique Mas. And then in ninth, Nero Quintana. And in tenth, we have Tom Dummullen. Probably the most exciting out of that top ten is Richie Port sneaking into it and getting all the way up to six he was um on last week's show he was 11th and he was 11th through a lot of the week but over the past few really big mountain stages he's just rocketed up and he's now two minutes and 13 seconds off the lead so it's a long long amount of time um to have much hope of making it up and actually taking out the win but i think he'll definitely get into the top five um at the end of the race. What do you think, Kendra? Yeah, I was, I'm very happy that Richie Port actually has made it to six. Like he's come such a long way and yeah, I didn't expect it. I'm not sure if you thought that he could like get to six this, like with like still quite a few stages to go. I don't know. What did you think on that? Did you expect to see him at this point in the race in six? Probably not. I thought I was like hoping and pretty confident he would make it into the top 10. Um, as long as, you know, he avoided crashes and kept going pretty well. But like particularly on Sunday night stage, he he ended up finishing third. But for part of it, he, he could have won 
Um, he was just riding really impressively, really strongly. He ended up being beaten by Pogacar, took out the stage, and Roglic finished in second. Um, but he was just so much more impressive than a lot of the other riders that are in the top 10 and just on the brink of that top 10. So um, that's obviously why he's gotten up to six. And it is a bit um, surprising, but I think based on the way he's riding, he's really earned his spot there. And I think he's just going to continue to rise. Yeah. And I also think with Richie Port this year, he seems like his speed has come a long way. Like he's very good, like, you know, with endurance, but I think this year he's definitely been able to pull it out more with those quick bursts. So he's looking really good, um, good contender for the top five. Let's hope he can get as far up the line as possible. Yeah, definitely. I think one other really impressive thing has been, I think it was during the week um, since our last show, his main teammate and lead out rider, Bauke Mollema, um, fell and crashed down and had to abandon the race. And I was worried when that happened that that was going to be a bad sign for Richie because he's sort of got to go on his own on these mountain stages. But he's just been doing impressively. It's been no worries at all. Um, so, yeah, I think – I hope he can make it into third. I think Roglic and Pogacar are going to hold on to that one and two spot. But I think Richie, if he does really well, has a chance of getting all the way up to third. I also think Richie Port might be doing – well this year particularly is because I feel like with him the pressure's off like no one I don't I feel like he had less expectation going into this race like the last few years people have um in Australia have hoped that he's been like a contender for yellow jersey but but going into this race the pressure might be off with the circumstances and everything and thing and maybe that's why he is doing so well do you reckon he might have a chance at finishing in the yellow jersey or is he too far behind at this stage I think he's probably too far behind. Um, I think even Pogachar, who's 40 seconds off the yellow jersey, might be too far behind um, to catch up. But, yeah, like I said, I think, I think he will make up some time. Um, I just think two minutes 13 is a lot. And Roglic is also riding pretty well. I don't think he's going to let anyone get that far ahead of him. Yeah. The only thing that would, I reckon like challenge the number one is if there was a major crash that sent them all out, but that's probably very unlikely. Like they will be definitely guarding the Jersey. So I think that, yeah, it's a lot of time to make up, but if there is a crash, I mean, it's happened before he could really get up there. Well, let's move on to having a look at some of the other jerseys. So in the green jersey for the sprinters, we've got Irishman Sam Bennett holding on to it. He's on 269 points. Peter Sagan is in second. Matteo Trenton in third. Brian Cockard in fourth. And then Australia's Caleb Ewan is sitting in fifth. So he is on 158 points, which sounds like a fair way back, but they do earn quite a lot of points for stage wins and stuff like that. Um, but probably the next chance for the sprinters to take out a stage is just the final day in Paris. A bit of controversy in the green jersey, though. Um, in the last sprint finish, which Caleb Ewan actually won. Um, so that was exciting for all the Aussies fans. But Peter Sagan actually ended up getting... Uh, relegated um, in the positions for headbutting during the finish um, and lost his sprint points, um, got put down, I believe, from second to fourth. Um, Kendra, did, were you watching this? What did you think of it? Yeah, I saw that he w was, um, yeah, headbutting other riders and it it looked quite dangerous, the, like the way he was doing it. 
it. I know that, you know, they're coming in for a sprint and there's a lot of argy-bargy and they all want to try and get the best line. But I think when you're using your head to headbutt another rider, that is very dangerous and you should be. You definitely need a penalty with that. I don't know. What did you think about it? Yeah, I agree. I found it quite noticeable when I was watching and it obviously would have put the rider off um, even just the tiniest amount. And, and in that finish, they were all there. I think there were, the four of them were really close. So the tiniest little um, push or bump would have put you off slightly with your momentum. So um, I think it was the right decision to uh, sort of not disqualify him, but just put him down the rankings a bit um, based on that. And I find it interesting, though, that in most years of the Tour de France, there's, there's always a headbutting incident. Yeah, a lot of them tend to do it. And I just don't understand why you would risk it. Like, it's so dangerous to not only yourself, but to the other people. And, like, bike riding is such a dangerous sport as it is. I don't understand why they use this tactic. I think it's just, you know, to put other team um, team riders off. But, yeah, I personally don't understand why they do it. Before we move on from this one, Kendra, do you think Caleb Ewan can get another win before the tour is over? I think so. I mean, I'm saying that with um, the hope that he would because he's Australian, but I think he can. He's riding very well. His speed at the moment is very good. He is he can do really good needle threads and that explosive sprint down the straight. So, yeah, I definitely think he could definitely take out another stage. All right, and our last two jerseys to go through, we've got the spotted jersey for King of the Mountains. Benoit Cosnefra is still holding on to this. He's on 36 points, so just two points clear from Pogacar, who is in second, and then Roglic, the yellow jersey holder, in third. Um, we've got some big mountain days coming up to round out the tour, so I think we'll probably see one of them, um, if not someone else who's in the top 10 for that category um, end up taking the spotted jersey by the end of it um, and the white jersey for the best young rider is currently held by Pogacar um, he is 20 or 21 years old I'm pretty sure um, which really makes me think about what I could have been doing with my life if I'd committed a bit harder to cycling. Sin, we're young people run the show. All right, now to some NFL news because week one has started. Tom, do you want to take us through this? Yes, the, the season has finally started. Uh, there were questions whether we were going to get the start of the season now or not. Um, a couple of stadiums do have crowds, which is um, impressive as well. I know Kansas City have crowds and Jacksonville have crowds. So it's good to see people back in the stands. I'm just going to, go, I'm just going to quickly go through the results here for anyone that hasn't caught up with it so far. So on Friday, the Chiefs beat the Texans 34-20. to 20. And then yesterday on their Super Sunday football Monday for us, I guess it was, um, the Seahawks beat the Falcons 38 to 25. The Bills beat the Jets 27 to 17. The Bears surprisingly beat the Lions 27 to 23. The Packers looking very, very impressive there, um, beating the Vikings 43 to 34. The Patriots with Cam Newton in his first game beat the Dolphins unsurprisingly there, 21 to 11. The Dolphins are going to be very disappointing this year, I reckon. Um, Washington football team in their new name, their debut game with the new name, beat the rivals, the Eagles, 27 to 17. Very disappointing start for the former Super Bowl champs there, the Eagles. Um, the Las Vegas Raiders, their first game under the new name, Las Vegas, beat the Panthers 34 to 30. So very impressive there from the Raiders as well. 
Uh, the Jags beating the Colts 27 to 20. There's a lot of hype around the Colts this year with new quarterback Philip Rivers moving from the Chargers. Uh, they're expected to have a pretty decent year this year and the Jags are expected to finish dead last. So a very surprising win there from the Jags from Gardner Minshew as their quarterback as well. The Ravens absolutely smashed the Browns 38 to 6. Browns are going to be pretty disappointing this year by the looks of it. The Chargers winning 16 to 13 over the Bengals. A very disappointing end there for the Bengals, missing a field goal to tie the match to take it into extra time. So a bit of a getaway there for the Chargers. Uh, the Saints beat the Bucks 34 to 23 in Tom Brady's first ever game with Tampa Bay. So very disappointing there for Tampa Bay. They'll be looking to get a first win there next week. The Cardinals beating the 49ers in an upset 24-20. to Last year's uh, Super Bowl runners-ups, the 49ers. A very disappointing game against the Cardinals, who are a very young side and only looking to get a, a couple of wins the, this year, maybe potentially making playoffs, but the 49ers, very disappointing. And to end Super Sunday, we had the Rams beating the Cowboys 17-20. to I'm a Cowboys fan. I was very, very disappointed with that match. Um, very poor defensively from the Cowboys. Couldn't stop the Rams. The Rams are looking like the um, the team of old that made the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. So they're looking good. Very disappointing from the Cowboys. A lot of hype this year around us. We have an insane offense, but a really poor defense. And then to round it off the games from Tuesday here in Australia, the Steelers beat the Giants pretty convincingly, 26-16. And as we're recording this, the last game is on at the moment. It is 7-all between the Titans and Broncos. And that's your NFL Week 1 wrap-up. Well, keeping with American sports and now moving to an American sport that is finishing up for the year, the NBA is really getting to the hot end of the season. Tom, what's been happening in the NBA? Yes, a bit of an update from last week. I think I said the Miami Heat downed the the Milwaukee the Milwaukee Bucks. I don't know how to say that. Name. The 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 Bucks. Um, Giannis Antetokounmpo, the potential MVP for this year, was out injured and the Heat absolutely destroyed the number one seeds 4-1 into the um, Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, They're up against the Boston Celtics who defeated the Toronto Raptors in Game 7 last year's champions. So, you know, the Raptors, I watched the game, they had their chances to finish off the Celtics and, and, you know, take the lead and come back and they were just really poor on offense. They were too many turnovers going into score and they've been really poor in that game seven. They really had their chances to beat Boston, but Boston have been the better side mostly throughout the year. So, you know, good on them for making it into the finals on the Western conference side. The Lakers ended up absolutely smashing the Rockets in the four one series, LeBron James and Anthony Davis just turned on playoff mode and they're now into the Western conference final And we're in another Game 7 between the Nuggets and the Clippers in Game 7, playing off for the last Western Conference final spot. That will be happening, I believe, as this episode is airing on Wednesday morning. So make sure you check that out as well. Just a little bit of a side note on the Nuggets as well. Their two stars, Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray, this is the fourth time and yeah, sorry, this is the fourth time in their career they've gone to a game seven in the finals. They've only been to the finals four times, I think. And this is they've been to game seven every single time they played in the playoffs. So very interesting there for the Nuggets and just shows they're so determined and willing to get in the playoffs. So I'm really hoping the Nuggets win and knock off the Clippers. I don't want it to be an all-LA Western Conference final. Um, I'm really hoping the Nuggets get over the, over the line there. 
On to the Suncorp Super Netball now and we are about a week away from the season wrapping up and heading into finals. Um, but we have got the results from the weekend. It was round 12. Kendra, do you want to take us through these? Yeah, so on the first game, we had West Coast Fever beat the New South Wales Swifts 80 to 71. Then we had the Collingwood Magpies versus Melbourne Vixens. Melbourne Vixens won the game 61 to 53. Then we had Lightning Sunshine Coast take out the win against the Queensland Firebirds at 75-67. Then we also had Adelaide Thunderbirds versus the Giants and the Giants took out the win 64-54. And after round 12, that leaves the Vixens really securely on top of the ladder. They're on 42 points. The Lightning are in second on 32 points. Um, so the Vixens are looking pretty set. They've held the top of the ladder for the entire season. Um, so they should definitely hold on to that into the finals. The Fever are in third on 30 points and the Swifts have dropped down to fourth. They're on 28 points. Um, below the line, we've got the Giants in fifth, Firebirds in sixth, Thunderbirds in seventh and the Collier Magpies down the bottom in eighth. Um, but the Super Netball have announced when the grand final is going to be. Um, it's going to be played in Brisbane on the Sunday before the AFL grand final. So it's going to be a packed week in Queensland that week. Sin, where young people run the show. Soft memories of youthful days. All right, now to some Grand Prix news, which was held in Tuscan. Tom, do you want to take us through the results? Yes, the first ever Tuscan Grand Prix in Mugello, which is a MotoGP circuit, so not a Formula One circuit. It is owned by Ferraris that do testing there, but it is only raced by the MotoGP. So the first ever inaugural Tuscan Grand Prix. Um, no surprise, taken out by Hamilton, finishing first, Bottas second, and Albon, his first ever podium. He's had a bit of a struggle. He keeps getting taken out uh, when he's in third or second spot. So finally gets his first ever podium for Red Bull. So really good for him. Um, Danny Ricardo uh, finished fourth. I'll get into the drama in a sec, but you know Ricardo should have been third. He was third the whole race until the last safety car. I'll get to that um, actually now. So the, the Tuscan Grand Prix, an incredible start. Um, we only made it one corner before the race got caught off because of a crash. Um, incredible. Verstappen got taken out in the first corner. Um, Carlos Sainz got taken out, got spun. It was just an um just an insane first corner. We had eight drivers uh, for total that um, DNF'd uh, because halfway through the race, there was a, another safety car that came out. Uh, but this time it wasn't red flagged, which means the safety car stays around, goes in, and then Valtteri Bottas, who was first at the, at the time, he gets to restart the race. So what happened is because the Mercedes cars are really slow on the straights, they're not the fastest cars on the straights, Bottas was keeping the whole pack behind him until he got to this start line and then he has to go and has to take off. But because all the cars at the back, they're so low to the ground, they can't see when Bottas goes. They just saw the green flashing lights, which means racing can commence. They thought that the race had started and the, the drivers at the back started to take off and started to race. And because the cars in front of them hadn't raced and were going so slow, cars were moving out of the way and it ended up being Carlos signs that just crashed into the back of somebody 
and taking out like four or five drivers and four or five drivers got taken out before the race even started again. So there were eight DNFs throughout the whole race. And because it got red flagged again, Danny Ricardo, who had done so well to manage his tyres throughout the whole race and, you know, keeping in third position through the whole race, had to come in, everyone changed their tyres. And because the Red Bull car is just so much faster, everyone on fresh tyres, Alex Albon ended up taking him um, after a couple of laps towards the end there. So really disappointing. Ricardo almost got that first podium for Renault. Um, and if nobody knows as well, the Renault deputy or the, the Renault team principal made a bet with Danny Ricardo is if that if he's if he gets a podium with Renault, Danny Ricardo can give him any tattoo that he wants. So he was very worried and very happy that Ricardo was third and potentially going to finish third, but he ended up finishing fourth, which really sucks. That first podium, he's just been so close so many times. Um, throughout the year so far you can just you can just sniff it he can he's almost there to get that podium uh so hopefully next week um or in two weeks time i think they have a week off now hopefully in a couple of weeks when we restart again that danny rick can get that final and first podium before he leaves Renault. i obviously see that safety cars are an essential part of the race but they're so frustrating they just ruin all momentum of the race and i know so many races that if I ever watch, um, they just end up being decided by who has the best position when the safety car comes in, not who's necessarily who's driving the best and things like that. Exactly. And that's, it's a, you know, it's, it's a problem for cars that aren't the Mercedes. The Mercedes are usually out in front and because they're so much quicker than everybody else around the track, they just take off when the safety car, it, it hurts drivers like Ricardo who managed his tires so well um, that when you get towards the end of the race, he has so much more, pace than anybody else because he's managing his tires better than anybody but then you have a safety car come up and he's losing all of that gap um behind him to someone and then you know when people um get lucky with a pit stop as well so they pit just before a safety car they're on fresher tires and then if any if everyone else pits after them they're just in a better spot than where he is beforehand so it does suck with the safety car Um, It just seems like Danny Rick is always in the worst timing and in the worst spot for the safety car as well. It always goes against him, it seems. Um, So hopefully he gets a bit of luck in the future, but at this stage, just not looking like it. Um, One other thing out of the race is that Lewis Hamilton is under investigation from Formula One about whether he broke any rules um, related to his activism about Black Lives Matter. He wore a shirt that said, arrest the cops who killed Breonna Taylor. Um, Tom, have you paid any much attention to this sort of storyline um, out of the race? I did just see this today before we were recording. Um, I don't see why it needs to be taken any further. I mean, Hamilton's voiced his concerns about everything. I don't think wearing a t-shirt is going to make any difference. He's like, you look at over in America and all the activism that's going on over there. You know, you had Naomi Osaka walking out with um, names of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor on her mask, walking out before a match. Um, so I don't think it should be, maybe give him a warning um, saying you, you can't actively say arrest somebody and do this. Maybe, I, I, I don't know. I just, I don't think any further action needs to be taken. He shouldn't be penalised for it. Um, I just think maybe give him a warning if you want to, but I think nothing should happen of it. Sin, where young people run the show. And that brings us to the last segment. I think it's everyone's favourite segment here. It is our odd sport of the day. And because it's our last episode, we're going to recap every odd sport that we've gone through on our show. 
Here is a look back at the odd sports that we've covered so far this season. Moving on to our last segment of the day and keeping with our last episodes, we are going to explore another weird sport of the world. So this week we have come across what is arguably one of our favorites, I reckon. I don't know if it competes with toe wrestling, but it's quite up there. It is the competitive slapping tournament over in Siberia. Looking at the prize money right now, first place 10 grand. That's a lot of money for just eating a lot of hot dogs. They basically wear like a water polo um, kind of outfit. So they have the little um, polo hat on, um, but they also wear a snorkel and fins and um, mask and goggles and stuff. So they can swim underwater for a long amount of time. And they have a little puck that goes on the bottom of the pool and they have to swim along and try hit it into the other team's goal. So I stumbled across this incredible sport just before. Extreme ironing is an outdoor sport, not indoor. Can be indoor, but it's usually outdoors. An outdoor sport that combines the danger and excitement of an extreme sport with the satisfaction of a well-pressed shirt. Pumpkin paddling. And specifically, we are looking at the West Coast Giant Pumpkin Regatta. It does look like it is a very fun event. I mean, I'm looking at the guy who's in a bee costume and I think, yeah, it looks really good. What's toe wrestling all about? So toe wrestling invented in Staffordshire in England in 1976. It was pretty much just in invented by a group of mates at a pub that just wanted, that, that had the idea that they wanted Brits to be good at something. So they invented toe wrestling as an, as an event. To our bizarre sport of the week, and to be honest, I think this is the most bizarre sport we've had on the show, in my opinion. This is called ferret legging. And basically this sport involves a person dropping a ferret down their pants. Because they say it just, it developed out of people just needing to cross rivers and stuff like that. and just using a stick to sort of launch themselves over the river. And then at some point, obviously people were like, oh, let's see who can go the furthest. And that's how it developed into a sport. Dock jumping, also known as dock, known as dock diving, um, is a sport competition in which dogs compete at either distance or height jumping from a race platform, usually known as the dock, and they're jumping into water. And I was trying to think about what my dog could potentially go in. I have an American Staffy, but I don't think she'd go in any of these. She hates water, so I don't think she would go for anything. Also, she doesn't fetch stuff. It's so, so cute. And actually, funnily enough, I've actually watched Rabbit Show Jumping um, previously to us discussing this. So I consider myself a bit of a fan of the sport. So the odd sports to recap the list of names of sports that we've done, there is dock diving, rabbit jumping or cannon hopping, underwater hockey or octopus, toe wrestling, hot dog eating, extreme ironing, feel yepin, giant pumpkin regatta slash pumpkin paddling and competitive slapping. So a fantastic agenda of sports there. Um, have I missed that one from last week? And what did we do last week? I have um, ferret legging. <laughs> yeah. Guys, I think it is finally the time where we need to make the decision on which of these is our favourite. I know the last couple of weeks we've had some really adorable 
um, events. I know ferret legging isn't an adorable sport, but they are adorable. Um, dock diving with the with the dogs and rabbit jumping, the cannon hopping. I think they've been really adorable. As much as I do enjoy those, I reckon, I think extreme ironing is going to be my favourite because I reckon I'd be pretty good at it. I think I have to say that the rabbit jumping was my favourite just because they were so cute in how they had little hurdles and they were jumping over that. I'd say the most bizarre one was definitely the toe wrestling one. I found that one very strange. Toe wrestling was a funny one. I'm I'm really struggling to make a decision. Um, Extreme ironing was one I considered, but I don't think I'm going to pick that one just because... I think there's some questions about its classification as a sport. Um, I'm actually leaning towards competitive slapping. Um, I think I think this was a real good one. I think it it showed a person's strength. Um, and one of the things I remember really stood out to me was just the the politeness and the etiquette um, and how that contrasted with the kind of violence <laughs> of the sport. Um, so I think I'm going to go with competitive slapping, but there really is a lot of good ones in there. There's some I d- definitely don't want to ever try, but there's some that I really would love to have a go at. You want to have a go at competitive slapping? <laughs> no, I think I'll just spectate. <laughs> <laughs> just sit in the background and watch everyone be really friendly and whack just across the face. Um, yeah, I don't think I'm trying many of these. I don't know if toe wrestling is my forte or the ferret legging. I don't think I'm going to enjoy those. I, I, I just think extreme ironing. You're saying it's not a sport. I disagree completely there. It's going to be the next big thing for the Olympics, extreme ironing. I reckon I could, I could get around that. I think I'm going to... The, the, the only one I would think to participate in would be probably the pumpkin paddling. It looks the most safe. Are you going to grow your own pumpkin? Yeah, so I think that should be like part of the requirements. Grow your own pumpkin and have your own boat. Also because the pumpkins looked quite big and safe, whereas all the others looked a little bit dangerous or just downright strange to participate in. We'll have to check back in to see how your pumpkin's going then. And that concludes this week's episode of The Sports Desk. You can stay up to date on our social media at the Sports Desk Scene. Also, if you missed some of today's episode, you can listen on Spotify and Omni. I'm Kendra and you have been joined by Tom and April and we will... No, we won't see you next week. (laughs) (laughs) Very sad. Yes, our last episode. (laughs) We may be back or we might not be, but until then, goodbye.